Jesus says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. We crave the praises and the glory that humans give. It's a sign of the sin that resides in all of us. Since the fall of humanity, we have wanted to be like God. In fact, that was the very temptation. You shall be like God. The follower of Jesus Christ understands that it is God's praise and His recognition that we must seek. The praises of humans will always lead us away from God and His truth because, as Paul says, humans were born enemies of God. For this reason, Solomon says that the fear of humans or the concerns for what humans think is a deadly trap. Paul tells the Galatians, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. The ways of Christ are not the ways of this world. For this reason, things like social media and all forms of media that Christians are engaged in right now are very dangerous. After all, who wants to be hated publicly? Yet Jesus said we would be hated if we were his disciples. This is why Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets. Well, today we're ending our series. We're completing our series on the Beatitudes. And you know, if you've been here uh, or watching on, on uh, YouTube, that we completed the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. And then just a few weeks ago, we, looked at the, we began looking at the Beatitudes in Luke chapter 6 called the Sermon on the Plain. Basically the same sermon, but Luke 6 is a shorter version of what we read in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And before I go any further, I just want to tell you that next week we began a, uh, another sermon series, and it's actually on the Sermon on the Mount. So we looked at the Beatitudes. Uh, some people call the Beatitudes the preamble to the constitution of the kingdom. So you have the Beatitudes, which are the preamble. And what follows is the constitution of the kingdom of God. So we're going to start that next week. Very, very excited about that. And again, uh, next week, we're beginning three weeks of small groups. So we're going to be looking at those, that first section of the Sermon on the Mount. Very excited about that. If you're not in a small group, talk to Pastor Chris, and he'd be happy to get you connected. So when Jesus begins preaching his inaugural address telling everybody what the kingdom of God is all about, he begins by answering a question that every human wants an answer to. Now, keep in mind the people that Jesus is speaking to are people who are pressed by Rome. Rome invaded uh, Jerusalem, Israel, and occupies, and they are cruel oppressors, cruel occupiers. And so these are people that 
are craving, longing to see Rome evicted and longing for a Messiah who will rule in the country. What the people don't know is that Jesus has not come to set up an earthly kingdom. He's come to set up his kingdom in the hearts of men and women. He's come to set up his kingdom in the hearts of people who want God more than anything else. And so Jesus is answering that question. What can make me happy? How can I be happy? And that is a a question that that humans have obsessed about for millennia. How can I be happy? In, in In this preamble, in these Beatitudes, Jesus is talking about how, in fact, people can have a happiness that comes not from this world, but a happiness that comes from heaven. In Luke, the four Beatitudes that we're looking at, or that we've looked at, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are you who weep. We talked about that last week, and today it's blessed are you when people hate you. Now, none of this makes sense to a person who's not converted. If you're, if you're an unbeliever today, this is gobbledygook. It doesn't make sense. What does that mean? How can a person who's hungry be called blessed? How can a person who's weeping be called blessed? How can a person who's hungry be called blessed? And, and really, how can a person who is hated by other people be called blessed or happy? Well, before we, we dive into that last beatitude of, of Luke chapter 6, I just want to show you something that came up on my news, news feed. I think most of us, if you've got uh, an iPhone, I know for sure that you have a news feed. And this is, this is an article that popped up this past week. And it's, this is on Apple News, and the heading is Joy. And it says, that here's the title, Can Happiness Be taught. And, and here's what the subtext says. Science is telling us that we can learn to be joyful and why people who focus on social connections, who do random acts of kindness and prioritize sleep and exercise are happier. I decided I was going to call this the Beatitudes of the World. So, blessed are you who focus on social connections. Very interesting. And blessed are you who do random acts of kindness. And blessed are you who prioritize your sleep. And blessed are you who exercise. And so, the skeptic of Christianity will look at something like this and say, See, you don't have to be a Christian to be joyful. You don't have to follow Christ in order to be happy because science tells us that we can be taught how to be joyful. We can learn it. Well, before, let me, let me in answer to that, in answer to the skeptic's uh, plea, I want to point your attention to something Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus is telling his disciples about what's to come, and it doesn't sound very good. 
Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to die. And his disciples, they, they really can't figure out what's going on because they are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah come to set up his kingdom. But Jesus is talking about going to die and, and leaving them. And, and they're distraught. He doesn't know what to make of it. They don't know what to make of it. And so Jesus told his disciples, John 14, 27, I'm leaving you with a gift. Oh, your ears perk up. That sounds interesting. I'm leaving you with a gift. And here's the gift. It's peace of mind and heart. And Jesus says, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So Jesus is saying the gift that he's giving is a gift that you can't get anywhere else. You can't get it from anybody on this planet. You can only get this gift of peace from God himself. And Jesus says, so don't be afraid. Now, the joy that we're talking about, the joy which we call the Beatitudes, the blessed, is a joy and a blessing that is supernatural. So while you may be able to learn how to be happier, and to find some relief from the difficulty and the struggles and the suffering of this world, Jesus is saying, hang on a minute here. The joy that I'm giving you is a gift that the world can't give you. It's something that you can't figure out on your own. You need the gift that I'm promising you. The gift I'm promising you is supernatural. It's, it comes from heaven. It, you, you can't get it here on this earth. And those of you who have become Christians, you understand that this is true. You have, you have worked hard maybe your whole life trying to find happiness, trying to find joy, trying to find a way to, to, to be relieved of the suffering and the struggle that you have been through. A friend of mine, an older pastor, said that life is a veil of tears. Lots of sorrow, lots of suffering, a lot of pain. But the good news is when we come to Christ, when we yield to Christ, when we surrender to Christ and start doing things his way, Jesus says that is when happiness begins. And so this is the, this is the beatitude, the final beatitude that we're looking at. And it says, blessed are you when people hate you. Really? <laughs> And this does not make sense to the natural mind, but the mind that has been converted, the one who knows Jesus Christ, who has put their faith in Christ, who follows Christ, will be able to understand what I'm saying today. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Let's take a quick look at, at these four words that Jesus uses to describe what we will go through if we are, in fact, serving the Son of Man. Now, in case you're wondering who the Son of Man is, that's just another title for Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying, those of us, those of you who are serving Jesus Christ, who are following Jesus Christ, those of you who understand your need of Jesus Christ, you are the ones that 
will end up being hated and excluded and reviled and spurned. And he says, and if that happens, then you're going to experience great joy and happiness. All in favor, say aye. There's three of us. That's good. <laughs> no, this is not something. You'd be out of your mind to embrace that kind of teaching unless you understand what it means. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So the first three Beatitudes, blessed are you who are poor, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep. This is a description of the man or the woman who understands his sinful state or her sinful state, who understands that the things of this life cannot satisfy. Those of us who understand we're poor, understand we're hungry, those of us who are weeping, we understand that the only solution to our sadness and to our hunger and for our thirst and to this weeping is Jesus Christ. That is the reward for those of us who, who have come to that conclusion. Those of us who have tried to fill our bellies, those of us who have tried to assuage our, our tears, our suffering, those of us who have tried to get rich in order to be rid of poverty and, and in that state of, of being poor. We find the solution in Jesus Christ. And so the person who is a Christian, with those first three Beatitudes, understands that that is a description of the spiritual journey that he or she has been on. I'm poor, and I recognize that Jesus is going to meet my needs. I'm hungry, and I recognize that Jesus is going to satisfy me. I'm weeping, and I understand that Jesus will dry my tears. And if you come to that, where you understand that Christ alone is able to meet those needs, then you are truly blessed. Do you get it? Those who come to that conclusion are the ones who are truly blessed. And then this one, <laughs> blessed are you when people hate you. Well, the first three Beatitudes describes what I, as a Christian, understand about myself. The fourth Beatitude is what the world recognizes about me. The first three, I see who I am, and the fourth one, the world sees who I am. Did you get that? The world looks on at me and sees that I am finding my satisfaction and my fulfillment and my happiness and my joy in Christ, not in the things of this world. I'm not looking to people. I'm not looking to the, the, the things of this world to try to bring me relief and comfort. And we all have tried in various ways to find relief in this world, and it's ended in more grief and suffering. Ask any addict who's trying to find relief, and he'll tell you, it didn't satisfy. It made life worse. And so happy are you if you understand that Jesus Christ is the solution for the deepest needs of your heart. So the world looks on at us and they say, that Alan Duncalf, 
He just doesn't want to come along with the rest of us. Why does he want to come for a drink? Why does he want to smoke a, a joint with us? Well, because he's a pastor. <laughs> Pastors don't do that. Well, maybe some do, but I don't. Is that the reason I don't smoke or don't drink or don't do the things that so many people will do in order to find relief? Of course not. I have found my relief in Christ. I will not do what the world does to find relief and happiness. And because I have chosen to live a life that follows Christ, we sometimes call it a holy life, my life now stands, without me saying a word, my life stands in condemnation of those who don't follow Jesus. Think about that. Because I won't go along with the crowd, because I refuse to do what everybody else is doing, I stand alone. And guess what? It makes people angry. They feel, why are you condemning us? Why are you judging us? I remember when I was just a teenager, out with some friends, and uh, they all wanted to get, get, get drinks, and I said, well, I'll just, I'll just have a Coke. And they're like, like you can't drink Coke. We're, we're all getting drinks. You, you can't drink that. Well, Coke is a drink. And they're not happy until you're having a beer, having something to drink. Why? Because they feel condemned. And I didn't say a word. Listen, if you have made up your mind to follow Jesus Christ and your desire and your longing is to do the will of God every time, you are going to make people angry. That's what Jesus is saying here. People are going to hate you. In fact, people are going to exclude you. Have you experienced that yet? Has your family excluded you yet from events because you won't do what they're doing? Has your, have your friends excluded you because you won't do? You're not invited out with your friends after work because you won't do what they do. And, and you'll be reviled. It's interesting that Jesus uses four descriptions to describe what's going to happen to us if we don't do what the world does. To exclude means to be ostracized, left out. You, there's a line in the sand, and, and you're on that side, and we're over here, and, and you're not welcome to join us. To be reviled means to be criticized in an abusive way, angrily insulting. And spurn, to be spurned, means to be scorned, rejected with disdain and contempt. You are the scum of the earth because you follow Jesus. Jesus says, if that happens to you, then you're blessed. You're, you'll be happy. And of course, if you read through the New Testament, you discover, in fact, that's exactly what happens to people who follow Christ. And it shouldn't surprise us because Jesus warned us that this would happen. Look at this verse here, these two verses um, in, uh, that's not the right one, hang on a sec here. There we go. In John 15, 18 to 19, Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
Did you get that? Some of you are ashamed to confess that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and Jesus warns you. If you, if you, if you fail to confess that you are a follower of Christ here on earth, Jesus says that when you stand before the Father, that he will say, I don't know who these people are. I don't know you. There's a warning. And so Jesus says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now listen, this is something that a lot of us do, cannot get our heads around. We can't get our minds around this fact. We can't understand that we do not belong to this world. And if you did belong to this world, then everybody would love you as its own. So, why does the world hate us? Why does the world hate, hate Christians? You ever wonder that? There's no reason to hate us because we're nice to people. The reason the world hates us is because we don't go along with their way of thinking. And again, they feel condemned and judged, even though we're not even saying anything. Although there are some nasty people who, in the name of Jesus, will, will be nasty to people who don't follow Christ. But for those of us who truly want to honor Christ, we just do what Jesus says, and then the world hates us. Can I remind everybody that the world is controlled by the God of this world? What's his name? Satan. Satan is a God of this world, and it's clear that all who belong to this world hate the message of Christ, and they hate the idea of, of surrendering to God or repenting. It's, it's the age-old problem. Adam and Eve had this problem in the Garden of Eden, and then we find again that, that throughout the history of humanity, we have all, all of us, have, have turned to our own way. Each and every one of us have said, God, we're going to do it my way until that day when you finally repent and you finally turn your life over to Christ, and then it's a game-changer. But until that day, you're... You're, you're one of the skeptics. You're one of the critics. You're one of the people that hates Christ. You hate the church. You hate the gospel until God gets a hold of your life. And then what happens is there's a mighty transformation, and now your number one longing, your number one desire is to do the will of God every time. What's your longing? What's your desire? Is it to do the will of God? Well, I'm going to tell you this. That's the mark of a true believer. It's Jesus. Jesus said, I, I, I didn't come to do what I wanted to do. I came to do exactly what the Father told me to do. Jesus said, my bread and drink, my food, is to do the will of the Father. That's what a Christian is. You don't do your will. You do God's will. In fact, you're asking every day, Father, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we live. And I'm going to tell you, if you decide that that is how you're going to live your life, if you're prepared and willing to do the will of Jesus, you are going to come under attack and people are going to get angry at you. The mark of the believer is we do the will of God every time. Then Jesus says, woe to you when people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. 
People love the false prophets because they told the people happy things, things to make them happy. You'll notice at Cross Church, Pastor Allen does, <laughs> does not try to tell you happy things to make you happy. Because happiness cannot come from me. It can only come from God. When I preach the truth, we're told that the truth sets us free. And when you're set free, then you're happy. I'm not going to tell you warm, fuzzy tales. You do not come here today to hear me tell you stories from Soup for the Soul. I mean, you've seen those books. Warm, fuzzy stories don't cut it. What you need is the truth. And the truth is, is that you have to submit and surrender your life to the will of God, doing his will every time. Let me tell you a story about Eric Little, L-I-D-D-E-L. Eric Little is a son of missionaries to China, and he was a, a remarkable athlete. And he was training for the 1924 Paris Olympics. And his... His specialty was the 100-yard dash. He had trained for that. And everybody believed that there's a good chance that Eric Little was going to be able to win that race. When he arrived in Paris, lo and behold, he discovered that the 100-yard dash was to be run on a Sunday. And he decided there's no way on earth that he could go against the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, because Sunday was a day to bring glory to God and not to bring glory to man. And so he, he had to make a decision. Am I going to do the will of God, or am I going to follow my own will? I think that most of us here today would say, well, we could excuse him this one time, can't we? He could let him run the 100-yard dash this once, and it won't be a problem. But you see, Eric Little was a follower of Jesus Christ, and his commitment was to honor God every time. His commitment was to please Christ. And so he said outright, I will not run the race. Now, you would not believe the opposition that he faced. His own teammates, his own Olympic teammates, they, they were angry at him. They, they uh, maybe hate is too strong a word, but something close to that. They wanted to exclude him, and they definitely wanted to revile him and spurn his name as evil. And then the Olympic Committee, they were angry at him, and and he even had the Prince of Wales on his case, trying to convince him. I mean, can you imagine that kind of pressure all the way from the palace? Eric Little run the race, but Eric steadfast in his commitment to Christ, looking for the blessing that comes from the Son of Man, said, no, I will not break the commandments of God. I know that seems kind of strange to us nowadays because many of us, we, we, 
we tend to think that there are no longer Ten Commandments, there are only nine. Honoring the Sabbath doesn't seem like an important thing to us, but I, I need to tell you that it is important, and it still is important. And so here's Little, what's he going to do? And then one of his teammates says, hey, Eric, why don't we, you and I trade races? I'll run the 100-yard dash, and you do the 400 meters, which is scheduled for next Thursday. So Little, believing that this is a sign from God, this is God's divine intervention, says, okay, I will do that. I will be happy to run the 400-meter. Now, before the race, uh, the American coach dismissed Little as having no chance at running that 400-meter. I mean, he didn't train for it. When you, go, when you go to the Olympics, you're training for four years in preparation for that race. Little had only been training to run 100 meters, not 400 meters. There's no way. He hasn't got a chance. It's not going to work. And so on that day, Eric Little showed up to run the race. And one of the American athletes... His name is Jackson Schultz. He handed Little a note, and on it were the words from 1 Samuel 3, or 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, where God says, He that honors me, I will honor. And Eric Little, with, the, with that fresh inspiration, got down and ready to run that race. And wouldn't you know it? He lost. No, he didn't lose. He won the race. <laughs> he won that race. He defeated, defeated the American favorites, and he won the gold medal. That was on the Thursday. On the day that he was supposed to be running the 100-yard dash, he instead went to church, because that's what you do on the Lord's Day. And they asked him to preach. He's in Paris to run a race, not to preach. But he said, sure, I'll be glad to speak. And Eric Little stood at that, at that Church of Scotland in Paris. Yes, there's a Church of Scotland in Paris. And he uses his text, Isaiah 40. And it ends with these words. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Powerful words. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. While everybody else is busy hating and excluding and reviling and spurning, Eric Little says, I'm not looking for the approval of man. I'm looking for the approval of God. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You want the approval of God. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Remember, the Apostle Paul wasn't one of the original 12. He was somebody that, that came after, that God appointed as an apostle. And we often call the Apostle Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Well, it's everybody who's not Jewish. 
And for many Jewish believers, they thought there's not a chance that God would ever embrace or accept the Gentiles because they are, they are not God's chosen people. They are the hated. But Paul knew that God had called them to preach the gospel to everybody. And so that's exactly what he did. He started preaching the gospel to everybody. And there are people, there's some Christians in Jerusalem who went against what Paul was saying. Paul was saying we're no longer under the law, we're under God's grace. We're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by keeping rules. But the people in Galatia, they started listening to these, to these Jewish preachers who were saying, you got to keep the law. And Paul writes a scathing letter to the Galatians, the people who live in Galatia. And he says, who has bewitched you, you foolish people? Who has bewitched you and made you believe this lie? And Paul came under, make no, make no mistake about it, Paul came under severe attack. And Paul says, you know what, I could care less. I don't give a rip what anybody says. Why? You can hate me, you can exclude me, you can revile me, you can spurn my name as evil. I don't care what you have to say. I care only about doing the will of God. Yeah. I don't care what you say. Here's what he says in Galatians 1.10, one of my favorite verses. It, it revolutionized my heart and my mind when I, when I first came to see it and understand it. Paul says, if I was trying to win the, the favor of man, I wouldn't be a servant of God. I'm not trying to win the, the favor of humans. I'm trying to win the favor of God, and therefore I do God's will every time. And in doing the will of God every time, he found the blessing. He found a joy that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. So let me ask you today, those of us who are Christians, how are you living your life? You're worried about offending your children, your spouse, your friends, your grandchildren. Don't offend them. Don't want to say anything to make them upset. The Apostle Paul would say, what is the will of the Father? What's the will of God? What does God want you to do? And I can tell you what God wants you to do, and he wants you to do it every time. He wants you to tell people the truth. He wants you to share with people the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's a call to repentance. It's a call to surrender your life to Christ. It's a call to, to come to Jesus so that you may receive the gift of eternal life. That's what we do. I'm so thankful for my grandma and grandpa Duncalf, particularly my grandmother who was very, very vocal and it made some people angry. But she executed her responsibilities. She made a few people angry. 
But man, here's a, here's a man who was blessed and challenged. And he was going to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ because of the faithfulness of my grandmother. I'm going to challenge you today to live as Jesus calls you to live. Otherwise, Jesus says, you will be cursed when everybody speaks well of you. I just want, I just want everybody to speak well of me. I want my brothers and my sisters to love me, to like me. I want to be liked. I don't want, to be, I don't want anybody to not like me. This is the world we live in now. I get, I get invitations all the time. Please, would you like my Facebook page? How many get, thing, get you, you know what I'm talking about. Would you like it? Please like it. And the invitations, like my page. I don't like anybody's page. So don't, don't send me any requests because I'm not going to do it. I like only one thing, and that is the will of God. That's what you and I are called to as Christians. And I'm going to tell you, this is, a hard, this is a hard lesson today. This is why I say it's dangerous to be on social media, because I'm telling you, if you don't like what everybody tells you to like, then you are going to be scorned and hated. But then that shouldn't surprise you, because that's exactly what Jesus tells us. But we live in a world now where we are desperate for the love of the crowd. And Jesus says, woe to you if that's what's important to you. Woe to you. So let me ask you the question. What's important to you? Here's what Jesus says in that last beatitude. He adds a footnote. He doesn't do that with the other with the other. Uh, Beatitudes, but he does on the fourth one. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Look at this. Rejoice in that day and what? And leap for joy. And I'd, I'd do that for you today, but I'm afraid I'd break the stage. So rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. You get the sense of what Jesus is saying here. The thing that should cause you to rejoice and leap for joy is that you've had the privilege and the honor of standing up for Jesus, of standing solidly on the truth, on speaking the Lord's will and doing the Lord's will and not doing your own will. And for this reason, we find the disciples they're called before the Sanhedrin. That's the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And they are sternly warned not to preach the name of Jesus Christ. Do not talk about Jesus anymore. Don't tell anybody about Jesus Christ anymore. Don't tell anybody what Jesus has done. Don't tell anybody that Jesus died on the cross. Don't tell anybody that Jesus wants to reign in people's hearts. Keep your mouths shut. And the disciples said, and I love this, hmm, who should we listen to? Should we listen to people or should we listen to God? You can make all kinds of demands on us, but we're only going to do the will of God. And the Sanhedrin, furious, livid, they said, okay, you want it, you want it that way? 
And these disciples, of course, you know, were beaten. And when they were released, it says that the apostles rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. What brings joy to us is not finding or winning the favor of humans. What brings us joy, which, what causes us to leap for joy, is that we do the will of God every time. What motivates you? For most of us, like I know what motivates most of us, it's winning the favor of others. And God has called us to seek only the favor of God. That's how Jesus lived. Seeking only to do the will of the Father. Oh. You know, for so many of us, we have lived for so long, almost living like a chameleon, Nobody really knows what we believe. We don't, we're not vocal about our faith. We, don't, we just live and let live. Don't rock the boat. Don't make anybody angry. Don't have to be a religious zealot standing up with a sandwich board proclaiming the end of the world. That's what a lot of people think when Christians do what Christians are supposed to do. And that is live for Christ and do the will of the Father. We don't want it, we're too sophisticated. We don't want anybody to know what we believe. But I remind you that if you deny Jesus here on earth, when you stand before the Father, Jesus will deny you. He'll deny knowing you. This is radical Christianity. But I'm going to tell you, this is real Christianity. This is the truth that changes the world. It's time for us as a church to rise up and say, we're ready to speak the name of Jesus. We're ready to do the will of God, no matter what the cost. Hate me. Exclude me. Revile me. Spurn my name as evil. I don't care. I'm doing the will of the Father, and it brings me happiness like you cannot believe. Let's stand together. Father, we pray that you'd forgive us for being chameleons, for being hungry for the favor of humans. Forgive us, we pray, O oh God, for failing to stand up for Jesus. Lord, we have been reminded today that if we deny you, knowing you here on earth, when it comes to that day when we stand before you in heaven, you will deny knowing us. And God, my prayer as pastor of this church is that we would not lose one, but that everybody who calls Cross Church home would embrace the happiness that comes from living as Jesus calls us to live. 
that we would seek only your will and do it. So God, we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you in Jesus' name for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us and teaches us how to live. And we pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. God bless you.